Let's pray as we, as we come to God's word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for your presence with us, inhabiting the praises of your people. We thank you for your presence with us by the power of your Holy Spirit and your presence with us speaking to us from your living word. So Lord, give us ears, we pray, to hear you and eyes to see you, hearts to respond to you, lips to praise you and hands to serve you. Father, speak for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, folks, we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. Um, we're reading from Ephesians chapter 4 uh, tonight. And if you want to turn to the church Bible there, it's on page 1175. 1175. Words will be on the screen. You may bring them up on your phone or device or however. But this is God's Word, and we're reading from Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 16. Paul writes this, he says, Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave some, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. <clears throat> to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen, amen. And we thank God for his word. And uh, a couple of weeks ago here at Orangefield, we launched into our new series uh, called Who I Am. And we're looking at our identity, who we are in Christ, both individually and collectively as a church family. And uh, one of the things that the Bible tells us that we are as God's people is we are called by God. We are called by God. You see, Paul urges us here in Ephesians 4 that we've just read from. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And when I thought of this idea of calling, a certain image sprang to mind, and it was this guy, Tony Appleton. I don't know if you've ever seen him on, but quite often whenever there's a royal birth or an engagement or a royal announcement to be made, Tony Appleton 
uh, comes up there, and he's 87 years of age. He's an ex-soldier. He's always on hand to announce the royal news, uh, and he's a sort of an unofficial uh, town crier. And Tony Appleton <laughs> rings his bell, and then he cries out, hear ye, hear ye, and he announces, he proclaims what it is that he wants to say. I'm going to keep this up here. Nobody's ever going to fall asleep during one of my ser sermons again. But Tony Appleton rings the bell, he cries out, he calls out the message, the proclamation that he wants to cry out and for people to hear. And I sort of, it sort of struck me that I could liken God to a great cosmic town crier. A great cosmic town crier with a message that he wants the world to hear. And it's, it's God by his grace calling people to his kingdom, to himself, to his service. And you see, throughout Scripture, we see God calling people to listen up, to pay attention, calling them to himself, calling them to certain things, into certain rules at different times. And at various points in our own lives, God does that as well. He does that too. And you know, God uses a number of different bells. He uses a number of different bells to get our attention. A number of different ways of calling us, of getting us to listen up, to pay attention. You see, the bell may be the birth of a child or a grandchild. It may be the death of a loved one. Or it may be an illness or a change in our circumstances, a word from a friend, the beauty of creation, a passage of Scripture, or even during this service here tonight. And as God rings his bell, he cries out. And so he primarily calls us to two things. And I'd like us to look at this double call of God here for a few minutes this evening. <clears throat> Firstly, there's this, there is God's call to salvation. We are called to salvation. As Paul writes here in, verse, in Ephesians 4, he says in verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, we were called to one hope. That's first, uh, God's first and, and foremost important call to every one of us, the hope that is ours as we trust in Jesus for our salvation. And I know that many of you sitting here tonight have answered that call. You've put your trust in Jesus for salvation, but perhaps you're here tonight and you haven't yet. And tonight, God rings his bell. And he says to you, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. No need to wait. Now is the day of salvation. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, well, salvation? What's that about? And we use the word a lot in church, but it's not a word that you hear out on the street or in the, you know, the office or the canteen or the school playground. Salvation. What is that? And I'd like to just briefly explain to you or perhaps remind you because it's a beautiful thing to be reminded of. Salvation is a gift from God and it's, it's an all-inclusive package that takes care of our past, our present, and our future. In 2 Corinthians 5, St. Paul writes, he says this, it, it's, it includes a, a salvation is first of all a pardon for our past and, and, and these I've arranged as three pairs of peas so we can maybe perhaps easier remember them. A pardon for our past, that's the first pair of peas. 
2 Corinthians 5, at the cross, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. You see, when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, that garden of Eden, that place of perfection, of bliss and blessing, God walked with Adam and Eve and they lived in perfect union in perfect relationship with him. But then Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they became estranged from him and sin and death entered our world. And we know that our world is broken, don't we? We don't have to look very far. We know that our world is broken. We see it out there and we know it in here. But God loves us too much to leave us that way. And he's not for giving up on us either. So God sent Jesus, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to the father who loves us as he begins to restore the whole world unto himself. Salvation includes a pardon for our past. It also includes a purpose for our present. In John 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, life in all its fullness, life abundant. You see, in Christ, God offers us a reason to live for here and now, abundant life, abundant life as we live for him. And in living for him, we have a goal to live our lives glorifying and enjoying him, fulfilling the very purpose for which he made us. This is life, life in all its fullness, a reason to live a purpose for our present. And thirdly, we see that the gift of salvation includes a promise of paradise for our future. In Luke chapter 23, at the time of his crucifixion, Jesus said to the criminal on the cross beside him, truly I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. And that's Jesus' promise to every single believer. You will be with him in paradise. That's one of the reasons why he came from heaven to earth. Yes, he came to forgive us. He came to give us life. But he also came here so that we could one day go there. And I guess that's where it started for me, at the cross. On Good Friday in 1996. I had been baptized as a child and we baptized little Jamie here this morning. And I had been confirmed as a teenager. But then I didn't go back into a church. And it was for around about 10 years I didn't go back to a church. Now that's not how we hope it happens. But here's the thing. During that time, I might have forgotten about God. But God didn't forget about me. And during that time, I... I turned away from God and I did all the things that your mommy and daddy tell you not to do and we haven't time to go into all my misdemeanors tonight but got into trouble with the police and stuff and, but God, God doesn't give up on anybody and God was at work in my life. And just by way of encouragement to all you Sunday school teachers and, and teachers and youth leaders and parents and grandparents, When at the age of 25, I started going back to church, God started to water all those little seeds that they had dropped into my life. That were being sowed into my life when I was a child. 
And I started to go back to church, and it was probably for all the wrong reasons, but God was at work. And I remember on Good Friday, 96, I was walking across um, University Street to go visit some friends in, in, in Lisburn Road, and there was a Methodist church there, and had a little board out the front, and it said, Holy Week services, 115 to 145, and they were offering a free lunch as well. Well, that was the clincher. And I went. And it was Good Friday, and they were reading from Luke chapter 23, the story of the crucifixion. <clears throat> well, I listened, and I had the sandwiches, and I left feeling no different, really, than when I went in, only a couple of sandwiches to the good. But I went home, and that night I went to bed, and I couldn't sleep, and this story was going round in my head. And so I, I got up and I, I found a Bible that my mom and dad had given me when I was 10 years of age and I flicked through to the story, that part of the great big story. Luke 23, and I started to read it. And it was those two criminals on the crosses beside Jesus and one of them continued to mock Jesus and the other turned to him and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, you will be with me in paradise. And you see, I love what Jesus says and I love what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, you got yourself into this mess so you can get yourself out of it. He doesn't say, let's jump through a few doctrinal hoops and a few theological, tick a few theological boxes and maybe we'll talk about it. He says, you will be with me in paradise, full stop. And I'm thinking, what has this criminal done to deserve this paradise? And I couldn't find anything, because there isn't anything. He doesn't do anything. Jesus does it all. It's all by grace. This criminal, we haven't, we haven't, there's no evidence of him being baptized or confirmed or going to church or doing anything good. All those things are great, and, and we should do those things. But that's not what's getting into paradise. We talk a lot in church about grace, and this is what grace looks like criminals in paradise just because of God's love. And then it struck me. These two criminals, they represent everybody in the world. They're, they're, because we're all, whether we like it or not, we're all criminals and that we're all sinners and, and we're all like these guys and whether we like it or not, we're all physically dying. And so I reckon that they represent everybody and God said to me then, well, which one are you? Which one are you? And I had to decide. And really, when you get to that stage, and that might be the stage that you're at tonight as God rings his bell to get your attention, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? It's a no-brainer. Are you the one who continues to reject Jesus or the one who says, Lord, remember me, and gets offered paradise? Full stop, no ifs or buts or ands, but just because of God's pure grace. And so captured by grace, I got down by my bed at five minutes to midnight on Good Friday, 96, and I said, Lord, simply, I said, Lord, remember me. And I received his promise of paradise. The two most wonderful one-liners in all of history. The criminals, Lord, remember me, and the Christs, you'll be with me in paradise. And I received the promise, the promise that is for everyone who believes because Jesus does it all. You see, he seeks us by his grace, he saves us by his grace, and he keeps us by his grace. 
And if you're here tonight and you've given Jesus your, death, your yes, then he wants to remind you of these wonderful truths. You will be with him in paradise. So that is what salvation looks like. It's a pardon for our past, it's a purpose for our present, and it's the promise of paradise for our future. And if you haven't already received it, then he's calling. He's ringing his bell, he's calling out, he's calling you. And he's saying, now is the day of salvation. You can respond to this offer tonight. Receive the gift tonight, and we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you on your journey. And so then, once we have responded to God's grace in his call to salvation, then there is another call that comes to us from God. It's the call, secondly, to serve. We are called to serve. It tells us here in, in Ephesians 4 from verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. And it goes on speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, as we answer the call to salvation and start to follow Jesus, then we will also hear the call to serve for every single Christian is called to serve. And you know, Paul uses this simple but very effective illustration here, doesn't he? He uses the human body. And we've all got one. So, you know, he wants us to understand how this works. Paul uses the human body as an an illustration of how the church is to operate in its serving. Jesus is the head and each one of us is, is, is a part of the body and is to play our part. We each are like a different part of the body of Christ and each part is called to do its work. And you know, just as our natural bodies function best when each part is doing what it's supposed to do and all functioning under the direction of the head, we know how it is with our natural bodies. You know, if we have a toothache or a stubbed toe or, or, or a, something in our eye, if a single, one single part of our body is hurting or suffering or not functioning right, our whole body suffers and is less effective. Every, the Bible tells us that we each have different abilities and rules and gifts within the church and God calls us to these. And every single rule in the church is vital, is important, is, is necessary and they all complement one another just as the parts of the body all complement one another. And so as we work as a team, supporting and encouraging one another in the work of the kingdom, so the kingdom comes on earth even as it is in heaven. And you know, as we serve, we go through different seasons in our lives. And serving can look like different things depending on our age and on our stage. Younger people have, the, have an energy and have an enthusiasm. Uh, more mature folks perhaps have life experience and, and, and more wisdom. For younger people, it may be serving in a way that takes a lot of energy and enthusiasm. For instance, serving in a, in a worship teams or a serving in leadership in your school or college or going on short-term mission trips. For older people, it might look like spending more time in prayer, sending a little card or text of encouragement, coming alongside someone who is going through a, an experience you have already gone through. And I've seen many of you serving faithfully God and his church in these and many other different ways here at Orangefield. 
We go through different seasons in life and God calls us to serve in different ways as we go through those different seasons. So how is God calling you to serve him today and in the days ahead? For me personally, I responded to God's call to salvation, to his grace then because of his great love. I wanted other people to experience that love. I wanted to show other people that same love and that they too might be in paradise. I started to look for ways of doing that. I, I volunteered with Youth for Christ and helped to, to start a drop-in center in Cumber. It's called The Net. It's in Bridge Street and it's still there, but it's going a whole lot stronger now that I've left. But it's, that was one thing that I, I, I did there. I helped with I volunteered in the church with various different things. I was elected and called to serve on the congregational committee then uh, in Second Cumber and then um, elected and called onto the session. And, and these are various aspects of serving within the Presbyterian Church, which we're part. And then I was given opportunities to speak and, and to preach. And well, I, I was speaking to guys on building sites and stuff because it was, I was working at the roofing at that time. And then I was in the Simon Community Hostel um, ministering to folks who were um, found themselves homeless and, and, and needing a little bit of support to get back on their feet. But I believe that God was calling me down off the roofs and to take up a job working with people, but I didn't, I didn't know what, you know. I didn't have any qualifications, and I wasn't sure, was it social work, or was it teaching, or was it, was it ministry? And I didn't like school, and I left school at 16 years of age, and the height of my academic achievement was a, a cycling proficiency certificate. And I was like, God, 17 years as a riffer and a cycling proficiency certificate. What do you want me to do? But he took me over to Castlereagh Tech, Castlereagh College at the age of, of 36 to do my first GCSE. And then to an open university course and then to a, a placement in a church in, in England. And, you know, thankfully, guys, we live in a time and age. It used to be if you left school and you were in something, you were stuck in it. It's not like that anymore. We live in a time and an age when we can go into continuing education, when we can go back to education. And I know uh, several people who recently, within our church family, have, have had career changes in order to follow God's calling into another sphere of service. What might God be calling you to? Calling you to a change of career, perhaps, in his service? And then there were a number of people who were saying to me for quite a while, Gary, you should think about this ministry thing. And so after running from that idea for a long time, I ran out of excuses and I went and... Uh, got accepted and started training and did a couple of assistantships and got ordained here 2016 and here we are. But each of us is called into different roles and different uh, places and spaces to serve God. And you know, I guess all rules are rules of leadership because we're all setting an example to somebody. It's what kind of an example are we setting? And then Paul helpfully tells us here in this passage in Ephesians 4, the kind of attitude with which we are to approach serving and leading. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he says, be completely, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In these few verses, he says, we're to... Serve in humility and with gentleness, with patience, with love, in unity and in peace. 
And in a few verses in Romans 12, Paul unpacks a little bit further this attitude with which we are to serve. And it, it is that attitude of grace and of love. He tells us in Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. It's the one another's, isn't it? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Paul goes on, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And you see that little phrase right in the middle of there, serving the Lord, is surrounded by guidance on how to do that. And it's a service driven by love, the love that God has first shown us. Because this is, this, these verses come from Romans 12, and in the first 11 chapters of Romans, he spends the first 11 chapters setting out the whole foundation for our love for one another. And it's all about God's grace. And that love that we are called to have for one another within the wider church and community, it is because of that love for, of God for us, the love that Christ has for his church. We see that we are to display enthusiasm in serving the Lord and caring for one another will be an outworking of that spiritual zeal and fervor that we as believers have in the God of the Bible. As Christians, we joyfully, patiently, faithfully serve Christ and his church because of that wonderful wonderful hope that we have in him. The hope that we have in Christ, crucified, risen, ascended, reigning, and returning. You see, Christ himself is the source of all our hope, our joy, our patience, of the, all the inspiration for serving that we will ever need. And we receive these from him as we are faithful in prayer, in praise, in Bible reading, in his presence, individually and corporately, privately and publicly. In verse 13 of Romans 12, Paul writes, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And I guess this is the most direct reference to serving, isn't it? Share with God's people who are in need. And then he goes on, practice hospitality. And with this verse, Paul is leading us out into the territory of caring for and serving those outside of our church family as we make our homes a place of hospitality and welcome for family, for friends, and for strangers. So here we see the sort of serving that we are called to. What serving motivated by love truly looks like. The sort of serving that will bless, bless one another and that will be a witness to others and show Jesus to a watching world. So just as I finish, we see tonight that as part of who we are, we are called by God. We are doubly called by Him. Firstly, we are called to salvation. And then secondly, we are called to serve. And it's all by his grace and for his glory. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your call on our lives, on us. We thank you for your call to salvation, a pardon for our past, a purpose for our present, and a promise of paradise for our future called firstly to salvation, and then you call us to serve. And in serving, we serve you out of a deep sense of gratitude for what you have first done for us. And we serve using the gifts, the personality, the opportunities, the experiences that you have given us. And so we take a moment now to continue to respond to your call. If it is the call to salvation and we haven't yet responded, we want to respond to that tonight. 
If it is a call to serve, then place on our hearts how you want us to serve you. Is it perhaps in spending a little more time in prayer for our church, our family, and friends? Is it in sending messages of encouragement to one another? Is it in using some craft or skill to bless others? Is it in catching up with others for coffee on a time of fellowship simply? Is it by offering financial support to help support church or charity in your mission to the world? Is it in some area of evangelism or discipleship, of pastoral care or worship, of children's ministry or catering or some other organization or activity in the church, a charity, or the community? Father, in your presence and in the silence, we listen to your call, to your prompting. And we take a moment to respond in the silence and in our own hearts to what you're saying to us. Father, in whatever way you lead us, help us to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received from you. For we pray these things for your glory, with thanksgiving, in the power of the Spirit, and in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.